Um, today, I want to share with you a tender warrior. It's a call for all the men to learn and grow together as a tender warrior. Uh, tenderness and warrior is not always in, the, in, in, in sync. Uh, it is sometimes conflicting in a sense, but we need both uh, to be a man of God. So I want to read to you 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through uh, 13. I'm going to ask the uh, AV team help me to flip it while I read from my Bible. And you can also read your Bible, and also, you can also look at the PowerPoint that will be uh, flashed on the screen here. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 13. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zipa, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Zipa? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Zipa said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan, his cripple in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, behold, I am your servant, and David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show your kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Zipha, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Zeba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Zeba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Zebah's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. A tender warrior will extend kindness to people, to those who are in need, to those who are marginalized. And the kindness is extended from that tender warrior to uh, Mephibosheth. You know, none of the family who dedicated the sons named their son Mephibosheth. Not the best name to give to your sons. It's a long name, 12 letters. And every time he writes his name, he will grumble. And going to school is another challenge. The bullies will not spare him. They won't call him Mephibosheth Ting or Mephibosheth Wong. Uh, in short, someone may call out, hey, Boba, especially when you're Asian. And others say, hey, Mephibosheth, don't be shy. You know how kids are, make fun of them. But not the best choice of name aside, Mephibosheth is a recipient of grace from the tender warrior because a kindness is extended to him. 
some background. After Saul died in the battle with the Philistines, David was anointed king by the southern kingdom. And remember, the nation was divided into the southern and northern kingdom. The southern kingdom comprises two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And the northern kingdom, much bigger, has ten tribes. But they have always been staunch supporters of Saul. And it took seven years, seven long years, for David to win over the hearts of the northern kingdom before he was anointed the king of whole Israel. And with the support of a unified nation, David was able to defeat the neighboring hostile forces, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Syrians, and others, knowing the military might under King David, came to make peace with him by paying tributes to the nation. At the end of chapter 8, 2 Samuel, before chapter 9, it summarizes this way. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel. And David administered justice and equity to all his people. What a nice summary of a young king, 30-ish kind of a king, who has ruled and reigned so well for the nation of Israel. And David put in the right place the right men to oversee defense and administration and governance and spiritual life of the whole nation. Now, now that he has consolidated his power, David inquires about the household of Saul in verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You know, the first agenda of the king in the king's business when things are really going well is very revealing. It reveals what kind of a person he is. It reveals what is priority in his life. And his first agenda is to inquire about Jonathan's son. You know, in verses 2 and 5, there's a very interesting dialogue between David and Zipa. And in verse 2, it says that there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zipa, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Zipa? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? You know, if I were Zipa, growing up in those era and in those location, you know, Oriental, Eastern, Middle East uh, places, the thoughts that crossed my mind as I heard the new king asking for someone from the previous regime and the location that he can find him, and the, and the thought that crossed my mind would be something like, here he comes, here he comes. The time to purge the remaining threats of the former regime has come. You see, to consolidate power in those years, it was a common practice for a new king to eliminate any remaining heir of the previous regime in case he galvanizes the surviving forces to overthrow the new regime. Peaceful transfer is not important in those years, but consolidation of power is essential. And that thoughts 
would most likely cross Ziba's mind because Ziba served King Saul. And he understands the palace politics. And look at how he answered King David's inquiry. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. You know, when you read narratives in the Bible, look for the turns and twists and irony and the things that may not said but implied. All he needs to answer is, yes, this Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. But he added a description of who is Mephibosheth. He is crippled in his feet. It is some way of communication to the new king, thinking that he might be looking to purge any threats in the kingdom, reminding him that, you know what, king? He is no threat to you. He is crippled in both feet. And he can't even walk on his own. That's Mephibosheth. And when David asked him, where is he? Where can I find him? And Ziba said to him, he is in the house of Mecher, the son of Amiel, at Lodibah. And that's another signal, another way of communicating to the king that he lived in Lodibah. Lodibah means no pasture, no grassland, no way to raise livestock. It's a very poor desert, desolate place for anyone to live there. It's a, it's a slum. It's a no-man land. Mephibosheth is marginalized even though he has the royal blood of King Saul in him. And by the way, he's far from the power base of anyone. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. He's no threat to you, new king. You know, if David's whole intention is to find any threats and using the pretense of trying to be kind to Jonathan's descendant as a way to find out where they are and try to eliminate them, and knowing that he's not a threat, most likely he said, okay, I'll leave him alone. We'll stop right here. Okay, thank you. You can go home now. But David goes against the trend of most kings would do. Instead, he chooses to look for ways to show kindness. He wants to be a tender warrior. The word kindness reflected three times in this short passage here. In verse 1, he says, I want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And in verse 3, he says, He says, You someone of the house of so that I may show the kindness of God to him. And in verse 7 again, he says, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Kindness translated from the word hazat, is a very common word used in the Old Testament, but it's a very powerful and rich word being expressed. Hazat, kindness. It not only describes the harmonious human relationship for one another, but also God's love, God's protection, God's deliverance for human, for us. And it points to a covenant relationship kind of a kindness. Not just one time, but when I say I'm kind to you, 
I am in covenant with you that I will do it as far as I can, as long as I can. And if you summarize the meaning with all this rich portrayal of what it means to be kind, Hosea means the sustaining grace of God. Not just being gracious, but sustaining, long-lasting grace of God. That's Hosea's kindness. And a tender warrior like David intends to share, to deliver, to give, to endow that kind of a kindness to Mephibosheth. For a person to show Hosea's kindness, it basically means that that person is demonstrating godly character. He's full of God. That's the kind of uh, kindness that David intends to shower upon Mephibosheth. You know, one of the most difficult things to deal with is power. But we all live in a power structure. Whether it's family, business, politics is the, uh, the most obvious. Whether it is written or unwritten, as long as people get together, naturally there is a power structure. Very quickly you'll discover who is in charge. Very quickly you'll discover whose decisions and whose ideas are well embraced by people because somehow that person has the ability to garner the attention, to make good choices, and people like, yeah, I'm going to count, I'm going to do that. I'll support that. We all live in a power structure. And yet, power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Same for church. There's a power structure in the church. But that structure has to be monitored in such a way that it will not be manipulated, it will not be overpowering. It will not evolve into a toxic culture that oppresses people, manipulating people for whoever, any, any person's personal gain. A strong accountability either in structure or in accountability under mature men and women is necessary to safeguard the use of power lest we abuse it. Last week, we had the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. The last one, the former one I attended was like 30 years ago. So the second one I attend now, 30 years later, after we'd gone through that four days, two days I was in person, the next two days I was live, watching live streaming, I was pretty proud to be a Southern Baptist. Again, we're not perfect, far from perfect. How do you find a perfect denomination with 14 million members, 47,000 churches? But it's amazing that with all these diversities, we were able to come together, send 8,000 messengers and about 2,000 guests 10,000 people coming together in Anaheim Convention and go through different agendas and different make decisions and voted for different things. That's truly amazing. And you know, our Southern Baptist stands for democracy. It is the people, it is the members who make the final decision. Same for our church. And everybody has a voice in our church. 
But it was not chaotic. It was not disorder. It was orderly done in the proper way. There was a procedure. There was accountability. There was strong leadership. See, you can build the best structure for accountability, but if the leaders, if the people called in charge of that thing do not have the courage to stand up and say, it is not right, let's do it the right way, it's not going to work. We have the structure, the proper parliamentarian type of a structure to vote, to call, to speak. But someone on the stage there, the president of Southern Baptist Convention, before he was voted out and for the next one, the new one, he was chairing that meeting and, and he demonstrated that tender warrior. That yes, we need to listen to one another, but when the opposing, the opposing candidates is, was, was speaking, please do not boo him. Because when your spokesman was speaking, nobody boo him either. We don't do these things in Southern Baptist Convention. He just step up there, put a stop to it, calm the crowd, and let the person finish his presentation. There, there, there was a, a clear, strong leadership, firm leadership to make sure that uh, democracy, it's wonderful, but it has to be orderly. And you have to respect each other. And same for our church. Anybody can say anything in our church. Unless you say anything against the Bible, then we'll come up, sorry, unbiblical. But opinions, there's different ways of doing things, and, you know, we need to listen to one another. But if you are out of bound, we'll talk to you. The pastor will talk to you. The pastor will give you a warning, second warning, and say, out of bound. Sorry, you need to step down from that office. Sorry, you can't do this anymore. Sorry, this is not acceptable. And for most of us are Asians and we often shy away from conflicts and shy away from confrontation and just to sometimes pretend that it is okay when everybody, everybody knows it's not okay and we call it open secret and let that open secret to open wounds for many, many years sometimes when no one wants to step up and say, no, it's not acceptable, it's not good, please don't do it again. We'll forgive each other, but please don't do it again. And I want to tell you that our pastoral team is committed to that. We don't always have the best discernment. Sometimes we step in too slow, sometimes too quickly. Sometimes we have the wrong choice of words. But we are committed to do that as our church grows bigger and bigger and more complex and more diverse. We have the structure in place, but we need strong leaders who are humble but firm to do the right thing. Just like Southern Baptist Convention, it was reflected clearly in that few days, and I'm so proud to be a Southern Baptist. I want to thank God for many men. On Father's Day, I want to show, I will talk to the men. I want to thank God for many men who show kindness to your loved ones, to your spouse, to your children, to your own parents, to your siblings, to your neighbors, to one another, to your small groups. Thank you for demonstrating a tender warrior in your life. It's not always easy. 
Many of you have been a godly model for young men and women. You mentor them, you walk with them, you journey with them, you share your life with them. Thank you for doing that. And many of you are willing to work with youth and children. I want to thank God for you so much. We have a youth crisis. has been on for many, many years. We have children crisis now. All the crisis that the youth are experiencing now comes down all the way down to elementary school, first, first grade, second grade. And you journey with them. You taught them. You model godliness before them. Thank you so much for doing that, especially men. And some of you are doing grandparenting. Even though you could have cruised around the world and play golf and do other things, but for the sake of the next generation, for the sake of the generation after the next generation, the grandchildren's generation, you are willing to come in and say, well, do our best to support, to help. We know how hard it is to raise godly children in a very anti-Christian, hostile, secular environment that we are all facing today. A kindness is extended from a tender warrior. And secondly, a promise is kept. A promise is kept. Two times he said, for Jonathan's sake, for Jonathan's sake, in verse 1 and verse 7. And there is a background story to it that evolves until now when he delivered the kindness to him. And it came about because of a promise. A promise that Jonathan has appealed to David to give to him. Because David was anointed as the new king. And King Saul was holding on to his regime in pursuit of King David's life, hoping to eliminate him and stay on in power. But Jonathan knows that God has forsaken Saul because he has forsaken God in the first place. So in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 to 16, Jonathan appealed to David and said, If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So if I am still alive, David, when you have the power, be kind to me. It was my father's issue with you, not my issue with you. We are friends. But if I die, please be kind to my household. And that's the covenant they make. So in verse 16, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Let's be kind with one another. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. That's the promise. And how come Mephibosheth was crippled? Was he born like that? No. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. That means they died in the battlefield. And his nurse took him up and fled. As she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. 
So from five years old onward, he was crippled in both feet. See, David has one unfinished business. He wants to be a promise keeper for Jonathan's sake. But not only that, in verse 3, he says, for God's sake, I want to show kindness to Mephibosheth. The kindness of God to him. Because he was shown kindness by God many times in David's life to spare his life from the pursuit of King Saul and to save him from his enemies. And he keenly aware, he vividly remembered God's goodness in his life. So for Jonathan's sake and for God's sake, I want to show kindness to others. You see, that's a king who is a tender warrior. While consolidated his power, he extends kindness. And he kept his promise. You know, different commentators look at that and say, no, 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 it's more than that. It's more than just show of kindness. Actually, there are some hidden agendas. Hidden agendas like political gain. If you show kindness to the grandson of Saul, who has a staunch support from the northern kingdom, the Ten Tribes, hey, that's... You just won over their hearts because you are kind to their hero. Others say, well, he also got media attention, right? He projected a softer image. It's like, you know, the candidates today shake hands, holding babies, you know. It draws eyeball, right? But others say, well, it's for security, you know. When you invite Mephibosheth to dine with you every day, in some ways, it is putting him under house arrest. See, the worst is if you leave him alone and they can create a revolution, revolt, you know, and by the time you discover, it might be too late. But when you see him every day before you and dining together, there's nothing he can do. You are basically putting him under house arrest. So whether for political gain or media attention or for security, that might be the hidden agenda you know, personally, I do not hold those views. I think that David was sincere in extending kindness to Mephibosheth because David has a track record of being kind, even kind to his enemies. Today, as we come together on Father's Day, I want to thank you, men, fathers, for being a promise keeper. Thank you for keeping your promises to your spouse and to your children. Thank you for being a promise keeper to your God. When you say, I want to be your disciple and will take up my cross to follow you, you mean it. Thank you for being a promise keeper to your church. When you pledge that pledge and say, I will die for Jesus' church, I want to thank you for doing that and keep your promise. Thank you for being a promise keeper to your brothers. We know how tough it is to be a man in today's world and how much temptations they are out there. And we come together in a covenant relationship, in a group and say, let's grow together. Let's journey together, man. Brothers, let's journey together. Thank you for being a promise keeper to your pastor. Thank you for affirming us. Thank you for working together with us. 
Thank you for believing that no one can do church alone. And we do it together to build the church of Jesus Christ. When they are promise keepers, they will always be promise breakers. And we have to admit that sometimes we do break promises. And for some of you, maybe it's time to patch up. It's time to patch up and not just sweep them under the carpet as if it never happened. You know what? It's easy to break promise. It takes a lot longer to patch things up. A lot longer. But by God's grace, patch things up. Humble yourself. Apologize. Wait. Be proactive. Ask God to open windows. Ask God to soften hearts so that we are able to have a second chance of patching things up by God's grace. Because that opportunity is not always there. That window may close someday. And unfortunately for some of you, it might already been closed. And finally, a tender warrior has a welfare that is granted to Mephibosheth. Beginning verse 7, the first phrase that came out from David's mouth when Mephibosheth bowed before him, and David said to him, Do not fear. If you know the background of the Old Testament history, you know that when Mephibosheth was called by King David to come before him, you accept, you expect him to be fearful. There were two incidents in the past that would make Mephibosheth coming to David a fearful experience. See, Mephibosheth has an older brother, Ish-bosheth. He was made king of Israel after Saul died in the battle in continual opposition to David's reign. David was only king of Judah then. And it took seven years to win over the northern kingdom because they elevated their king as well. He was later murdered by his own men who tries to defect to uh, King David. That's the first incident. And secondly, Mephibosheth's grandfather, that's King Saul, he has attempted to kill David over a period of 10 long years. That's not a good track record. And you can imagine when he came to before, before David, he was trembling. So he says, do not fear. Because David's intention is not for revenge. David's intention is to extend kindness. And what did he offer? In verse 7, he says, I will show your kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. The first, the title of the land, ownership. And secondly, in verse 10, he says, And you and your son and your servant shall till the land for him, that's Zipha, the servant, and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson, that's Mephibosheth, may have bread to eat. A constant supply of food. And thirdly, protection. Because as he continues in verse 10, but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now, Zipa has 15 sons and 20 servants. Again, the plot, the turn, the twist, 
the irony? Why do you have to mention that Zipa has 15 sons and 20 servants while you give the land to Mephibosheth, while you ask them to till the land for, uh, for Mephibosheth to make sure there's a constant supply of food to him? I have a feeling, now I'm reading into it, but I have a feeling that this kind of a extra unnecessary statement being articulated in that narrative is because Zaipa might have laid claim to Saul's property. See, he has 15 sons and he has 20 servants. While Mephibosheth was all along from a deposed regime, crippled on both feet, there's no way he can defend himself. So all that David has done also was to protect him from any predators or bullies. And finally, the most significant thing is he was able to eat at the king's table, like one of the king's son. Four times it is mentioned in verse 7, in verse 10, verse 11, in verse 13, as he summarizes that whole description, he ate always at the king's table. It's almost like in those years, the nickname, or when you describe Mephibosheth, oh, the one who always ate at the king's table. That's how significant that is. And can you imagine the kind of honor that is given to a sole survivor of a defeated royal family? When you feel pretty lousy, David say, eat at my table, just like my son. Tender warrior. That's a tender warrior. You know, if you summarize all that whole package of welfare that is granted to Mephibosheth, it's almost like in today's term of full coverage for life, Social Security, Medicare, 401k, retirement fund, assisted living, a butler. You know, Zaipa is that butler with 35 domestic helpers? Whoa, that's significant. And I like the way verse 13 summarizes everything. So, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now, he was laying in both his feet. He was able to come in a city. He was able to eat at the, at, at the king's table, even though he was lame in both his feet. You know, it is almost like the narrator's intention to summarize it in such a way to cause the readers like you and me to reflect and say, you know what, I see myself in there. I see myself as Mephibosheth that we don't deserve God's grace, that we are helpless and crippled by sin and darkness and living in desolate condition and fearful of the judgment of God. And David's kindness points to Jesus 2,000 years, 2, years later, the perfect son of David, 
the Son of God, who incarnated into the world of darkness, showed kindness to lepers and the crowd who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus calls to them and said, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And today I want to encourage you to be that tender warrior. A man of God earns his respect when he extends kindness to those who are marginalized. And in summary, I just want to say that we need leaders with integrity because abuse of power is real. But we must have the courage to enforce the structure, healthy structure, to prevent abuse, any abuse, any kind of abuse. Because everybody has that potential. And our church has in place a caring well ministry as a response to abuse in the church from the Southern Baptist Convention. And it is almost ready to be launched. And I remember when they showed me the accountability structure, when Sunday school students and youth, when, 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 you know, when people abuse the power and who do we appeal to and who should be accountable and all that stuff. And, and finally it comes to the deacons and then the pastors, of course, we'll keep them accountable. And then the pa associate pastors, then the senior pastor and the deacon chair, and we'll keep them accountable. And it ended there. I was like, where is the senior pastor? Who is he accountable to? You see how easy it is for us to defer ourselves to leadership? Because we respect that person. But even the senior pastor is not exempted from abuses and the temptation to use power for his own benefit. So I said, no, 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 no. Make sure while you have associate pastor, add on one more line, the senior pastor. He's under the chair of the deacon board, under the chair of the personnel committee and another deacon as an accountability structure. Then we have a healthy structure. But take the courage to enforce it. Otherwise, it is only on papers. Secondly, I want to encourage all of us. You know, our church is basically complementarian, leaning towards complementarian, not in the strictest sense, not diehard kind of a thing, but as close as we can. We believe in men's headship with women's helping as equal partner with mutual respect and love for one another and free to be who God has created you to be. And in the current climate of violence and, and all the agendas out there, we really need men to step up. If we call ourselves complementarians, men, you better step up. To protect other men, women, and children. To take bullets for them. Now, no discrimination intended. I'm sure women are equally capable of doing ministry that requires physical strength. No discrimination intended. I'm saying it as a general statement that we are at our best. We are at our best. As God intended. When the men were willing to take bullets for our loved ones. And I call on men to step up. In a week or so, we're going to have a safety and security training. I want to see men there. Women, they're welcome too. But I want to see men to respond to that. 
if we keep preaching about complementarian in our church. Then do accordingly. I want to encourage many of you to be grandparents and babysit for your grandchildren. If physically you are able to, if time-wise and other things can work out. This is not to absorb the parental responsibilities of the parents, of the, of the child, but you are there to support and to supplement them. Some are really intimidated by that process because oftentimes they'll be given a three-page agreement, drafted a list of 20 don't do's at any given time when you babysit our kids. And plus another 30 things, while not absolutely prohibited, but strongly discouraged. And if you agree, then you, know, you can babysit our kids. Now, I may be exaggerating a little bit here, but I know some of you uh, in different generations do things differently, but that's their kids. And as great grandparents, we need to respect them, of course. But we need the whole community to raise godly children more than ever before as our nation is deteriorating into a more and more liberal direction, secular direction, anti Christian direction. Youth crisis is real. Children crisis is real. We hope by God's grace our church can sponsor more Bible clubs in elementary school. We hope by God's grace our church can sponsor more Bible clubs in middle school and high school around us and instill the fear of God, instill the word of God from as young as possible so that our hearts, their hearts and their mind are captured by God's word and not by the world. So when we call you out and when we call out for help, I, I hope the men will step up. I hope the women will step up and say, yes, for the sake of the next generation, let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for all the fathers, for all the men who are faithful, promise keepers, Show kindness to the loved ones and others. We're grateful for the men in our church, for how they sustain many ministries, step up in faith, not afraid, have the courage to do the right thing, and work together to build the church of Jesus Christ. Father, we know that there will be more challenges ahead of us, and we know that we can only do it by our Heavenly Father's blessing and grace and by the teaching of God's Word. So, Lord, we ask you to strengthen our church to continue to stand strong in the midst of a very confusing world. Guide us with your word so that we can do the right thing to honor God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.